We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Have you ever thought, I have some money, but I want to turn it into more money? Well, one of the ways you could do that is through gambling. But gambling is legal in some states. It's a little dodgy. But online gambling is completely legit, and that is where our sponsor, Booster.com, comes in. B-U-S-R.com slash guilty. They are the official betting partner of the Guilty is Charged podcast, where we'll be having a lot of Chargers-themed bets. Uh, And they want to give you some cash to bet on the Chargers or anybody you want to bet on, whether it's a preseason game or the Super Bowl. They are here for you. So you can use code NFL100FP. Again, that's NFL100FP at BUSR.com slash guilty. And they will match 100% of your first deposit. If you put down $100, they'll put down $100. And suddenly you have $200 to bet on, I don't know, Larry Roundtree prop bets. Anyway, you can go to Booster.com slash guilty. Thanks to them for being the official sports book, and they want to make you money just as I want to see you get money. So go to booster.com slash guilty and use code NFL100FP. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I am your host. Happy to be here today. Happy to be joined by my guys, Alex and Tyler. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. I'm glad we all got the memo to wear dark clothes in honor of the death of Michael <laughs> Badgley's uh, career. Yes, yes, which we will definitely talk about today for sure. Uh, Alex, how are you doing today, man? You know, I'm really just heartbroken with the Badgley thing because I'm not going to get that P.F. Chang's gift card now. And the, <laughs> the, bet, the bet is null and void. Um, perhaps we need to have a Viscaino bet now in terms of buying and selling yeah. and a, maybe a Kessman bet. I don't know. Who knows who will be the kicker. But, uh, yeah, it's a sad day for, for the Welfare Badger. Welfare Badger, yes. Definitely a sad day for the Chargers kickers, which we'll get into. Uh, we're going to talk about the Chargers quote-unquote unofficial depth chart as well. Um, really do a, a big update on training camp as a whole, and then we'll also talk about the uh, Chargers and Rams preseason game. Uh, our audio version today is going to start with an interview. However, uh, I was able to to chat it up with 
PFF Eric. That's Eric. Eric Eager is his name. Uh, one of the higher ups at Pro Football Focus had a great conversation with him. I did ask him about the uh, Justin Herbert regression that they are uh, talking about quite a bit. So had a great conversation with him. Uh, very cool guy. Very cool conversation. Um, so enjoy that uh, interview right now. As always, the video version is going to be separate, but the audio version is going to be happening right now. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty of Charge podcast. Very happy to be joined by a special guest today, Eric Eager, the VP of Pro Football Focus and the co-host of Pro Football Focus. Eric, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Stephen. Uh, it, it really uh, is starting to dawn on me that we're starting the football season and uh, I couldn't be happier. The off season is always so long. Um, and there's at this point in time, like there's only so many like Keenan Allen, like uh, <laughs> highlights against Derwin James. I can watch. Yeah. I want to see him sort of on a, a regular game field. Yes, absolutely. And even just the scrimmage on Sunday that the Chargers had was, was a lot of fun. So we're going to dive into all of that, I think. The rightful place for us to start is surrounding Justin Herbert. Obviously, that's, you know, how he goes. The team is going to go this season and beyond. Um, you know, Pro Football Focus, you guys have kind of caught some slack for saying that he might have some areas of negative regression, might experience a little bit of a sophomore slump. So what areas are you guys predicting a kind of negative regression? And then we'll kind of dive into the other side of what areas he can improve too, but um, why do you think there's going to be some kind of negative regression here for Justin Herbert this year? Well, first off, I think some of it is a little bit, there were a lot of people, including myself, that weren't high on him coming out of Oregon. And I, I think like there's absolutely no way to spin it other than he was fantastic last year. And yeah. I think if you're a Chargers fan, you come out of Rivers, who was had a fabulous career, Hall of Fame career, you go right into Herbert. That's a fairly good transition. Yes. <laughs> and they played into his strengths last year. You know, he threw the ball downfield a lot. Um, he was great doing it. He's got good receivers. Um, and at the same time, he was pressured on more dropbacks than anybody in the NFL except for Russell Wilson. Yeah. The the crazy thing about that, though, is when pressured, he was the best quarterback in football last year. And so you sort of think about, okay, when you look at – I try to make a baseball analogy, but it's like in football – clean pocket passing is kind of like your three outcomes in baseball strikeouts walks and and home runs they're pretty stable and they and they sort of like carry with you year to year yeah the pressured pocket stuff is very much like batting average on balls in play you know once you throw the ball let's say you get hit in the chin with a blitz once you throw the ball you're not really in control of whether that pass rusher came on a four-man rush and so they have seven back there to cover it came on a blitz so you throw the ball and a guy's wide open um, there have been a lot of players who have had pop-up seasons and then they weren't able to continue them. And you look back and you say, why was that the case? And it's like, well, he was tremendous under pressure. And that it's kind of, that's where you look at now. If I'm the Chargers though, like every single quarterback is better when clean than when pressured. So yeah. if I'm a Chargers fan, I want to see more clean pocket passes, which you're probably going to get given Rashawn Slater, given Brian Balaga, you know, Corey Lins, like you've done a good job sort of moving pieces into that offensive line. So you're going to see more clean pocket passes. So he's probably going to do, he's, he should improve on those. I think the point is though, is he has to, to kind of stay yeah. the same, even statistically. 
Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think, you know, some people see the headlines and kind of freak out, but it stands to reason that, you know, he's not going to be the best quarterback under pressure again. Mm -hmm. But obviously the hope is that he is going to be under pressure, you know, less frequently. So what kind of areas do you think he can improve in? Um, You know, a lot of people kind of are buying him as a dark horse MVP candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the Justin Herbert hype goes and areas he can improve upon, uh, where do you land? I think the one for me, and I say this about Trey Lance too, another like really strong arm quarterback who has a lot of tools and um, he has to hit, in my opinion, what are called doubles. He has to hit more doubles. He, he almost yeah. had more yards over 20 yards last season than he did between 10 and 19. And when you look at the quarterbacks who are consistently efficient in the NFL or, or even schemes that are consistently efficient in the NFL, if you look at San Francisco, look at Tennessee, it's peppering the 10 to 19 area. And, you know, that's probably what they got Jared Cook for, right? A player who, you know, is, I think, more athletic than Hunter Henry, uh, probably a little bit less sure with his hands and things like that, but a guy that can get down the middle of the field. Um, He needs to do a little bit more of that. It wasn't that he was terrible there last year. It's just they didn't do it a lot. And I think part of that was just that, you know, um, and and they're they're going to have to. I mean, when you look at the change from Shane Steichen, who – you know, I think many people believe the Chargers weren't well coached last year, and I think that that broadly yeah. was true. If you look at end-of-game stuff, fourth-down decisions, absolutely true. If you look at play-for-play play on offense, I thought Shane Steichen did a great job last year. So you move on to like Joe Lombardi. The last time he had his chance, he was fired mis- mid-season for Detroit in 2015. So like to me, I don't even know if it's necessarily that Herbert has to improve like fundamentally had a lot of stuff. He was great last year. It's mostly that when you look at the data of, you know, young quarterbacks in year two that change coordinators, it, it, it's a group of players that like don't do that well. And, and it's tough because, you know, this is Herbert. I think I believe yeah. it's Herbert's fourth coordinator in something like five or six years. Like it's a constant struggle there. And we've seen a lot of really talented young quarterbacks struggle to get their feet because they're shuffling in and out with those guys every year. I mean, Baker Mayfield wasn't as good as uh, Herbert was as a rookie. But he was pretty good. He led the, you know, he had the touchdown record that Herbert broke. Yeah. But then he now he's on a coordinator number three, and we're all wondering if he's worthy of a contract. And, and so I, that's what I'm worried about for Herbert is like his biggest challenge this year is going to be how do he adjust to a new coordinator for year two. Yeah, I think, you know, in another world, Shane Steichen probably, you know, becomes a, a solid coordinator. You know, if he had maybe had a chance to work with Phil Rivers a little bit longer as opposed to, you know, jumping right into a rookie. Um, it, it was just kind of inconsistent. So hopefully Joe Lombardi can kind of stabilize that. Um, you mentioned the offensive line. Um, I, you know, I've said this kind of before, but the upgrade from Dan Feeney to Corey Lindsley, you know, could not be bigger. Um, what did you make of what the Chargers did this offseason with the offensive line? And really, how good do you think that unit can be in their first year together? Because it really is, you know, a massive overhaul that they uh, went through this year. Yeah, I mean, Corey Lindsley was the most valuable. He he added the most wins above replacement of any center in football last year. I think that's one of the reasons uh, Aaron Rodgers was not happy with the Packers. <laughs> and they let yeah. him go relatively freely. Um, you know, Matt Feller is also another player who I think has been pretty solid in the NFL. Um, left guard, uh, Ode Abushi is, you know, it's it's whatever, but left guard statistically is the least important position on the line. 
they're going to need kind of a Tristan Wirfs type season out of Rayshon Slater, though. Like, and that they got a great steal. Like, they somehow got him um, with pick 13 when, um, you know, by the way, you know, a pick that they were lucky to have because some teams won in week 17 and, 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 and let them stay at 13 when they won. Yeah. Um, it, it's really tough for tackles when they're young, right? So, um, you know, we saw Andrew Thomas last year struggle. Actually, Becton and Wirfs were pretty good. Jonah Williams hasn't been great so far. So if that's kind of a coin flip. I think long-term it's amazing for them, of course, to have those players in that position. Um, it might be a little tough at, at the beginning, especially, I mean, you're in a division where you look at, you know, Denver, it's Chubb, it, it's uh, Vaughn Miller. You look at Kansas City. Now, Frank Clark isn't very good, but Chris Jones certainly is, and he's playing on the outside yeah. this year. Um, you know, so, uh, and, and then the Raiders are coming at you with actually some pretty talented players up front now with, with, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, as well as Max Crosby and then Cleveland Farrell's a top five pick, uh, or he shouldn't have been, but he was anyway. Um, so like, I think there's a little bit of a possibility for a leak there, but coming from where they came from, I don't think there's anything they could do, but improve. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to be tough to be worse than the worst offensive line in the league, which they were last year, yep. um, which would be exciting to watch. And Rashawn Slater, you know, he's, uh, you know, going through some some lumps, it seems like in training camp, but, he, you know, he's getting some big wins as well. Uh, went four for four in his first day of one on ones, which is huge, yep. including a win against Joey Bosa. So um, very excited about him in, in terms of kind of like the ceiling and a floor versus or for a rookie offensive tackle. Like, what do you think that the Chargers are looking at with Slater? Because obviously he's got a great talent. You mentioned kind of rookie struggles. Is the floor kind of like an Austin Jackson kind of season? Like, what kind of variance are we looking at for Rashawn Slater this year, do you think? I mean, it could be Andrew Thomas, where you're almost replacement level at the beginning. And that's kind of the 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 risk you take, right? The long, you know, for a long-term benefit, you take the risk of him being bad in year one. Um, I think the benefit is that, Brandon Staley's not going anywhere, right? So yeah. um, he, he doesn't need to be amazing year one. Whereas you look at um, uh, Christian Derrishaw, the tackle that was picked after uh, Rashawn Slater, he's in Minnesota. Minnesota probably needs to win or Mike Zimmer gets fired. It, yeah. It's sort of a completely yeah. different thing there and it's more risky. So I don't mind the pick, but I do think Chargers fans have to be okay with the possibility that he long-term could be good, but this season might not be offer as much of a benefit as people believe and obviously the ceiling is like we've seen tackles come out and i liked slater coming out in a like you you have guys that come out and who are um you know who are all pros right away and and that's yeah. certainly something now i think it's more like it's like in the situation for Werfs, it was because brady does such a good job of protecting his o-line herbert's not quite there yet right yeah. but there is a chance that that could happen. So that, and that's what you do, right? Like, cause left tackle, you know, we saw what Trent Williams made. We saw what's uh, you know, the division rival Kansas city chiefs, what they're going to have to pay Orlando Brown after that trade. If you can get four years plus a, a fifth year option on a left tackle for, you know, teens money in the draft, like that's still a huge benefit to you. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, let's shift to the defensive side because I'm curious to get your thoughts about, where kind of the league is trending, you know, it, it seems like the Vic Vangio and, and Brandon Staley tree is really starting to branch out. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, safety play kind of, you know, take that leap forward where in the past, you know, safety was kind of a position that wasn't, you know, uh, very highly valued. And now you have Derwin James, hopefully he's able to stay healthy, but 
Um, what does Brandon Staley's defense allow Derwin James to do uh, if he's healthy, of course? Yeah, I think it all starts with Linval Joseph, right? Like when you when you look at the defensive lines that have done well deploying a scheme of multiple defensive backs, four-man rushes, lighter boxes, it all requires a nose tackle who can hold the point of attack. And Joseph was one of the best players in the NFL at one point. He's not that anymore, but he could certainly hold the point of attack down. If they see any sort of regression in him, it's going to be harder, right? And you, when you look at the Fangio defenses in Chicago, it was Akeem Hicks, it was Eddie Goldman, but Hakeem yeah. Hicks is really the guy, right? Like yeah. he held the point of attack down and rushed the passer so well that they didn't have to come with blitzes and things like that. And I think that that's really what they want um, him to be able to do because when you can do that, then you can play multiple defensive backs and that's what they're going to have to do. Right. Because, you know, losing, you know, Chris Harris jr. Being a little bit older, obviously losing Casey Hayward. Now he was getting older, but he had a fantastic career with the chargers. Yeah. You know, you're, you're coming out here now with Asante Samuel jr. Who fell in the draft a little bit. Uh, Tavon Campbell, uh, Michael Davis, who's been fine over the years. Um, and Harris Jr. trying to play that nickel, Nasir Adderley. Like, those players ha- can be good, but, like, let's say you have an injury or two to that group, and we know the Chargers have had injuries before. Like, you need to be able to stack up reinforcements. And if those reinforcements are weaker coverage players, you probably have to play more coverage players, which, again, puts right. more pressure on the front four to create pressure by themselves and stop the run without the help of linebackers because – if the more sort of like reinforcements you have to put in the, in the box in linebackers or safeties, it makes it weaker. And that's really the foundation of that defense is to play players deeper and have your safety sort of be that linebacker, but way deeper in the, in the formation. Yeah. That that's a great call about Linval Joseph. You know, he was really good for them last year. Unfortunately, they didn't, you know, uh, get any sacks, but you know, his pressure numbers were, were really solid. Yep. Um, and right next to him, you know, I think a lot of the success of this Chargers defense is going to hinge upon the, you know, how Jerry Tillery develops this year. Hopefully, you know, he's able to kind of take that next step. But, you know, he's been kind of a disappointment, at least to this point for, for Chargers fans. Uh, what do you think this scheme can kind of do for Tillery in his uh, third season? Well, we, we saw it have a really uh, good impact on Leonard Floyd when he went to L.A. last year. He got a contract extension. Um, so, you know, again, I think it stems on the dominance of, of what you can get out of Bosa. Um, if Tillery plays inside on passing downs, um, you know, what kind of matchups he can he can sort of scheme up there, what kind of pressure they can get from Nuosu and guys like that. Um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes, though, that the Rams made was not understanding how much of Leonard Floyd's success was due to that scheme and due to Aaron Donald and giving him the bag. It'll be interesting. Like if, if Tillery comes out and has like a 10 sack season, but the tape shows that it's kind of cleanup stuff and it's kind of pressures that were made more easy by playing next to Joey Bosa and and guys like that do the chargers pay him? Because I think those are some of the big, you know, because you have a quarterback on a rookie deal right now, you can be a little bit more spendy, but that doesn't mean you should be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely uh our our uh analytics guy arjun who uh works with you guys now yep. uh recently had a conversation with brad and and uh they did a fantastic job kind of breaking down the state of uh the, the chargers cap situation there um so let, let's talk about the the afc west as a whole here to wrap it up yep. um do you think that there's any chance that the hype this year for the chargers is is legitimate that maybe they kind of close the gap with the chiefs 
I think everybody kind of is is fighting for second in the in the division behind them. Um, but how do you see the AFC West stacking up this year? Yeah, I mean the the fact of the matter is the Chargers have played the Chiefs really tough for almost the entire Mahomes era, right? So yeah. you know, at last season they they probably should have won the Week Two game. Um, in in nineteen, they gave the Chiefs a run for their money in Week Seventeen, and in Mexico they were one Philip Rivers interception away from tying the score and sending it in OT, and then they won an Arrowhead in in eighteen. Uh, when those two are battling for the division. So this isn't a situation where the Chargers have been outclassed by the Chiefs in games. It's just the the hard part is, is there's sort of this Chargerian way of operating where like you can play, the Chargers can play with anybody, but they can also lose to anybody. Yeah. Um, and, and they showed that at, at times a lot. Whereas Kansas City, and this, I was on a Chiefs radio station the other day, um, and they were asking about like, well, okay, well now that they're paying Mahomes, are they going to fall off? And I said, you know, maybe, but the, the thing about the Chiefs, you go back and look, they've made, they've hosted three straight AFC title games, gone to two straight Super Bowls. And during that time, they've not drafted well at all. The only player from Mahomes draft that's left is Mahomes. Uh, the 18 oh, wow. draft doesn't have very many players left. Um, they haven't hit on a second round pick in like five years. Um, and, and so if they start getting luckier in the draft, for example, they might be able to extend even as the Chargers get better. Now, Again, if Herbert steps up and becomes in that sort of Josh Allen um, class, let's say maybe the class is just a hair below Mahomes, then I think anything's possible, right? Because we've seen Mahomes get injured before. Um, we've seen them not have a great defense. Um, their depth is an issue because they pay so many of their stars a lot of money. So I, I would still put them firmly as underdogs. I think the Chiefs are the most favored team to win their division in the NFL this year. But it, it's not insurmountable for the Chargers. Yeah. Uh, I, I like I said earlier, you know, it kind of just hinges on how big of a leap Justin Herbert takes. Is yeah. what do you make of the Broncos? Because I, I think their defense is so so good, but and the skill players too. Um, they've got a lot of talent on there, but you know, we don't know who the quarterback is. So, what do you make of the Broncos this year? Yeah, and I think as much as we like Fangio as a defensive guy, I don't think he's necessarily earned his medal as a as a head coach. You know, like and, and Pat Shermer's had success in Minnesota before. Um, but as an offensive coordinator, he's probably a little bit limited by the strength of the quarterback. Um, if they would have gotten Aaron Rodgers, it would have been a free for all in this division, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but I think we're also projecting a lot with the Broncos. Like we don't necessarily know that Jerry Judy, no offense, um, and company are going to be good. We've seen flashes of that. We don't know if Cortland Sutton's going to come back and the same guy as he was in 19. Um, you know, we, we like Javante Williams. He's the best back probably coming out of, the, out of the draft, in my opinion, but obviously he has to produce, right? Like, and the offensive line is just okay. Uh, they got to pop up. You're out of, out of Garrett Bowles. And of course on defense, they got to stay healthy and they've not been healthy with Chubb and, and, and Von Miller at times losing time. And in the backfield, I think that's where they're the most anti-fragile, but again, you know, cornerback play is extremely streaky. Ronald Darby, was amazing in Washington a year after he was horrible in, in Philadelphia. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, like they're, they're, I, I'm not going to put a ton of stock in the Broncos until they figure out the quarterback situation or they be, their defense becomes like the O2 bucks. If, you know, right. if either of those happen, I'll pay attention until then. If I'm a chiefs fan, I'm the most worried probably uh, about the Los Angeles chargers. And then the Las Vegas Raiders, I think uh, are not to be, uh, you know, they beat Kansas city in Kansas city last year. Um, they're, I don't think that they're anything to sleep on. Yeah, it's very going to be very interesting to see, you know, what we're all very familiar with Gus Bradley, um, but it doesn't really seem like he's got the kind of talent that he's used yeah. to. 
uh, particularly in the secondary. So that's going to be interesting there. Um, well, Eric, this has been great, man. Chargers fans, make sure and give him a follow at PFF underscore Eric on Twitter. Does some great stuff with data points. Obviously, you know, we're becoming more familiar with the analytical world with Arjun on our show. Um, so definitely worth a follow there. Eric, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right. So uh, great conversation with Eric. Very happy that he was able to have that. I think it's, you know, a very curious conversation because right now everything is all positive vibes with Justin Herbert and rightfully so. Um, but, you know, he did kind of point out that there are certain things that Justin Herbert needs to improve upon, which I don't disagree with. Um, and he simply pointed out that, you know, the best quarterback under pressure thing is probably not going to happen again. Um, obviously, the hope is that the pressures are less frequently happening with the new offensive line. Um, but overall, I thought it was a great interview. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, again, if you are watching this on YouTube, please go check it out. Um, but yeah, very excited about that one. Oh, you want me to talk about it? Uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to it yet. All I do is export the video. So. I, mean, you know, you. I just I just felt like I was talking for a little bit too long, so I, I wanted to see if any of you guys had any comments there. No, um, I I'm interested in the regression sort of thing. Having watched about half the scrimmage so far again and watched every single play and gone through the depth and the and the who's doing what and who's going where, uh, Joe Lombardi has done a very, very good job both simplifying things and making things easier for Justin Herbert but also letting Justin Herbert do what he does best, whether it's bootlegs, play action, all these certain things. Um, things look really good so far is what I'm saying. And then um, I'm excited. They got so many different players involved in that scrimmage with just the first team that, you know, listen, could he regress in some areas? Sure. But I do think Herbert is going to have a good year just based on what I saw at that scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just too early to say one way or the other. I'm not going to predict him to be the MVP. I'm not going to predict him to, you know, regress and, you know, have a Baker Mayfield kind of second year. Um, but, you know, it, it, I just have to see what this new offense was. Um, kind of like Arjun said when we talked to him uh, in our episode about Justin Herbert regression, like, you know, maybe if the Anthony Lynn coaching staff was still there, like, it would kind of be easier to predict one way or the other because he basically – be playing in the same offense but i don't know how you know quickly or slowly justin herbert will pick up this new offense uh in addition to you know everybody else around him um so that's kind of difficult plus the offensive line right are they actually going to give up less pressure i think so but you know it's a very health dependent offensive line right we already saw what it could look like without belago for the for the brief time that we did and we saw or sorry we already saw with lindsley for the brief brief time that yeah. he was out uh, and for you know a lot of the season last year when Belaga was out. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to predict that he's going to regress or, you know, uh, progress in a way. I think I'm just sort of, you know, with his 2020 stats for now. I also hate how people use the term regression because it's just become this word that means, well, this guy was good and now he'll be bad. And that's not what regression yeah. fucking means, you normies. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so... That's just uh, my thoughts on the whole regression debate. So really, it's just a big fat. We'll see. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's obviously a little bit up in the air. I think he's going to improve more so than, you know, regress. I think there are certain areas in which he will regress. Like he he's not going to be the best quarterback under pressure again. Like that's just, you know, even the best quarterbacks in the league fluctuate in that regard. So um, obviously the hope is that, you know, the Chargers are able to kind of figure out a way to help him more in the intermediate range. 
Um, and that's what we talked about with Eric. And, um, you know, that I know a lot of people hate Dan Orlovsky, but he and Mina Kimes had a, a great video on NFL Live the other day about areas in which Herbert can improve. And it's about helping him, you know, learn how to take what the defense gives him and not always have to go for the kill shot, you know, be able to check it down over the middle to Eckler for six yards, as opposed to mm -hmm. trying to chuck it deep to Tyron Johnson, who's likely going to be double covered more often this year. So um, those are areas which I'm excited about to see that kind of saints influence because obviously, you know, Drew Brees was not checking it deep all the time. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's, those are definitely areas that Herbert can improve upon Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, Jared Cook, those are players that will, and Austin Eckler, of course, those are players that will help drive his improvement in that area. So, um, all right, should we start with the depth chart first, or do we want to talk about uh, the scrimmage and the practices first? Uh, we can start with the scrimmage. Okay, so Tyler was obviously there. Tyler did a, a wonderful 24-minute video about everything that he saw. Um, had to leave it a little bit early, but that's okay. You know, there was still a lot of great content there, so... Uh, go check out that video if you haven't yet. Um, Tyler, what was kind of your major takeaway or two uh, from the scrimmage, you know, attending it in person uh, and kind of seeing things that we were not able to see? I'm going to skip the kicker thing because that's just a whole mess and you already know <laughs> what that's about. So yeah. um, I will say that having rewatched about half that scrimmage so far with the first team, that Justin Jones was a lot more disruptive than I thought he would than he thought he was during the scrimmage. It's very hard to tell, and because they can't sack these guys live, it's hard to see exactly you know if he would have finished the sack or not. But he was a lot more productive than I thought he was, and so watching him again, I was actually really really impressed. The defensive front seven did a really really good job overall. I thought they absolutely beat up either the offensive line or the running backs. Plenty of tackles for loss, plenty of run stops plenty of pressures and sacks and that's just the first team i was really impressed with that but then on the flip side i just think this chargers offensive these skill position players are so good and there's so many different pieces to use that you know watching herbert and these drives i think it where i'm at right now he's about i think he's like nine for ten for 93 yards or something like that and it's just four yards to cook five yards to eckler seven yards to allen 10 yards to williams it is so hard for the secondary to keep up with that many players and every single time other than one play that Herbert is just like, I don't even think he would have completed it anyway, but he's been almost perfect. Just finding the right player, the right matchup, the right hole in the defense, whatever it is. Um, so I was really, really impressed with that. So defensive front seven looks great. Secondary doesn't look bad at all. I just think that Lombardi Herbert and the offense did such a good job finding those, those little pieces here and there. I will say Asante Samuel jr. On rewatch was getting picked on just a little bit. Um, I missed the play where Guyton had that huge catch. I believe it was on Asante Samuel Jr. Unfortunately, the play before that, Kenneth Murray got hurt. So I was busy trying to figure out what that was. I wasn't recording it or anything, so I don't know exactly what happened. But, you know, there was one play where Mike Williams just ran like an out route in the end zone. And he was wide open for whatever reason. You know, if you're trying to bracket two guys like a triangle, you have Derwin James and Asante Samuel Jr. Then you have Mike Williams in the middle. For whatever reason, Samuel Jr. just kind of came like over here to help out on the inside and then just left, let Mike Williams just run to the outside. So, you know, I'm not saying it was a bad day and clearly in training camp, he's going against Keenan Allen. He's getting plenty of good reps and the word good reps yeah. in that scrimmage, but you know, just something to keep an eye on. These guys are human. Yeah. I mean, from, from what Tyler presented, you know, he sort of had a tweet that it felt like kind of summarized things up where it was like, well, you know, the kicking and the offensive line were 
kind of what we saw last year in some regards. Um, the offensive line is still taking time to gel together. I do think ultimately, of course, it will be better. Um, but Corey Lindsley out, uh, of course, from the rest of that scrimmage is a precautionary measure. Plus, you know, uh, the, the rest of the guys just kind of seemingly not having it and letting the defensive line have their way. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that's something that's going to happen at this stage. Um, it's hard to not talk about the kickers for me. And <laughs> I know Tyler already summed that up in his video, but it just kind of has me feeling hopeless. Like I know I, I predicted the most optimistic record prediction out of all of us at 11 and six. And I think this could be, you know, at the very least a nine and eight kind of team. Um, but, you know, uh, the variance that, you know, someone like Robert Mays talked about, like this kicking situation is almost all about that. Like on some level, yeah. um, you, you could have, have a team that's supposed to have 12 wins be an eight or nine win team just because of some missed kicks or, you know, just special team situations that don't go your way. Um, and the fact that I really just can't have confidence in any kicker, Badgley, you know, missing and getting booed, which I thought was pretty funny. By the way, I support booing kickers. Uh, that's <laughs> that's going to be my yeah. you know thing that I stand on. Uh, so uh, it's just really tough because Badgley just looks hopeless, really, from forty plus. And you know, Tyler also had to tweet that he had a kickoff that didn't make it to the five yard line or barely yeah. made it there. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so he can't do kickoff duty and he can't kick past 40 yards, um, which means it's really the same badly that we saw last year. Um, so that's going to be the disappointing thing. I do think Badgley is kind of done at this point in the kicking competition. I don't want to write him off too fast, but plus, uh, you know, his effort today going three for five, missing two field goals. That's not great. Um, and the, the other thing that just kind of stinks is like, yeah, I wanted Badgley to get pushed ultimately out, but I don't really have that much faith in Tristan Viscaino. I know he hit five for five today, but he just yeah. missed a field goal from under 40 yards on, <laughs> during the scrimmage, which is, you know, inexcusable. It's, it's a chip shot field goal. Um, I say that I don't kick field goals, um, but, you know, <laughs> you have one job and go do it. Badgley's had half yeah. a job because he doesn't even do kickoffs. Um, right. So... <laughs> And Kessman, unfortunately, does go two for six. So uh, I think he's sort of out of it. But I, I, it's really going to be Kessman or Viscano or Kessman at this point. I think Badgley is out. And the thing that stinks about it is just I don't really have confidence in either because they've played in a combined one NFL game <laughs> together. Yeah. Uh, being Viscano's one game in San Francisco where he relieved for Robbie Gold. Um, so it's just such a heartbreaking thing because i think this can be an 11 or 12 win team that's ultimately going to get knocked down to eight or nine wins because of this kicking situation costs them unless this kind of really turns the corner or something happens but i i just don't have the confidence at that at this point yeah i'm i'm fairly confident in saying that the chargers like return and coverage units will definitely be improved and that mm -hmm. is a big part of, you know, DVOA and expected play uh, point per play kind of thing. Like that's going to improve. And, and, you know, I was kind of looking at some numbers yesterday and Nasir Adderley was like seventh in the league in yards per kick return mm -hmm. attempt, which is really exciting that he's still going to be able to do that. Um, I think he's a really good kick returner, but the kicking situation is, is really weird. Like the kind of overhaul that the chargers are going through in terms of special teams you would have thought that they would have brought in, you know, some veteran presences, right? And it's all just like, well, you know, we drafted 
you know, Nick Neiman because in part of his special teams ability and Larry Roundtree and, you know, because of his special teams ability. And, you know, we signed Ryan Smith, which apparently, you know, that's not going well either, which we can talk about on the depth chart. But um, I was just always surprised that they didn't bring in a veteran kicker to push Badgley. You know, Zane Gonzalez just got signed with the Detroit Lions and he maybe is only slightly better than Michael Badgley, but you know that he's a veteran presence and you can still bring in Viscaino and Gonzalez still. Um, so it, I just don't feel great about the kicking situation either at this point. Uh, mostly put Viscaino season as my name today as a joke because he went five for five on the same day that Badgley went three for five. So we'll see, man. Like at this point, I, I think it's going to be Viscaino. You know, Alex Kessman is getting the fewest reps and he had the worst performance of the scrimmage. And, you know, you kind of know what Badgley is at this point. You know, he's the known commodity. So I feel like it's going to be Viscaino, but I don't feel great about it. Like, it definitely is worrisome. And then after the scrimmage, I went and looked at, like, available kickers. And it's like Roberto Aguayo and Dan Bailey. And it, it's just not great. So um, it, it it's unfortunate that the Chargers are probably going to have a kicking problem again, um, considering, you know, everything that they've done this season has been about getting smarter and, and, you know, upgrading the schemes. And for whatever reason, they just were good with the kicking situation as is. So obviously hoping for the best. This guy now has some very intriguing traits as, as a strong leg kicker. But like Alex said, he missed a, a gimme field goal attempt in a scrimmage with a stadium that was half empty. So um, definitely worrisome on the kicker front. Oh, I also do... just want to say, uh, people were saying that, uh, you know, oh, don't boo Badgley, you know, all this, don't boo the players. Badgley was missing kicks in uh, empty stadiums last year. Um, so yeah. I just wanted to get that out on the table. Um, and, yeah, so that goes for all the kickers who uh, are in this position. Uh, they're in this position for a reason. Okay, so how do teams that end up with good kickers get those good kickers? <laughs> Like, is it all draft? Yeah. Is it just luck? Is it, you know, it's, how do they? If it's kind of, you know, a needle in the haystack kind of experience. Like, kickers are so hard to predict from year to year. Like, Roberto Aguayo is arguably one of the best college kickers that we've ever seen. And the Buccaneers drafted him, and and he was trash. And, you know, you look at young Wei Koo, who was awful with the Chargers and absolutely deserved to be cut. Like, I'm sick of this revisionist history of, like, we should have kept young Waku. No, 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 no. He was awful. Like, he deserved to be cut. Like, let, let's move past that. Um, and then, of course, he becomes, you know, this amazing kicker with the Falcons. So, a lot of it is luck of the draw. Um, I think one of the things that I really like about the way that the Ravens do business is that every single year, they bring in competition in some kind of way for Justin Tucker. And Justin Tucker is arguably the best kicker in the league right now. And every single year, they bring in a priority free undrafted free agent. They bring in a veteran, like whatever they want to do, they always have competition for Justin Tucker. And I think you have to give yourself as many shot attempts as you possibly can. And it just doesn't feel like the chargers have done that historically. I know they have three kickers on the roster this year. I just don't feel great about any of the three of them. So a lot of that is luck. A lot of that is, you know, attacking things the smart way. And it just doesn't really feel like the Chargers have been able to do that. Um, well, and I, I sort of, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have one more thing to say uh, regarding the kicker stuff. Because I, I think you bring up an interesting point is like, how do you get a kicker, right? Do you just go through the draft and, and do that? Or do you go through undrafted free agency? 
um, I think just bringing a competition is a good point because like, you know, I get where the whole like spend a fifth round pick or trade for a kicker. I get where that comes from, but like also you can end up with the Justin Rohrwasser situation with the Patriots uh, yeah. just as easily <laughs> as you can end up with like an Evan McPherson if he pans out. Um, yeah. So to me, I think you just bring competition, hope for the best. Um, that's what they didn't do with Badgley the last, you know, two years really prior to this one. Um, so I hope that's the case going forward. But, you know, as far as like drafting a kick or trading for one, I think that's a bit extreme. Yeah, I'm, I'm never into the idea of drafting a kicker. Like I just the odds of you drafting that kicker and that guy becoming a great player, like it's it's just, you know, it's slimmer to none than usually like would I rather have you know, Chris Rumpf or a kicker, I'm going to take Chris Rumpf. Would I rather have Larry Roundtree or a kicker? I'm going to take Larry Roundtree. So I understand, like, some people are like, well, you get the best kicker in that class. And it's like, well, really, what's the difference, right? Because, I mean, um, I forget his name. Uh, Rodrigo Blakenship was drafted. And, you know, that was fine. But then you have guys like Roberto Aguayo who get drafted, and it just doesn't work out, you know? So it's just... I believe Blankenship a- was actually undrafted. Oh, Blankenship was undrafted. Okay, I thought he was drafted. That's my mistake. Yeah, he was undrafted with the Colts. Justin Tucker was undrafted. And, you know, the crazy Nazi kicker that was on the Patriots, he was the drafted one. So, you know, (laughs) sometimes it's just funny to think about that. And people overthink the draft all the time. And you never really know how these guys are going to transition into the NFL. Um, So that's that's just the challenging thing in terms of a true evaluation on something that's such a small sample size in terms of, like, plays. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll have to see. We'll, we'll move on to the to other takeaways. And I think um, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of be, you know, like worried about the offensive line or like worried about the secondary um, after Sunday's performance. And I I'm just not to that point right now. I, I think when you're in a team setting like this and you're in training camp and you're in scrimmages, like nobody knows the Chargers defense and their secondary, you know, better than the Chargers coaching staff. So like it stands to reason that they know like how to exploit all the weaknesses. And it's the same thing goes for the defense and the offensive line. Um, I've seen some people be like, man, Odey Abuji's like really getting worked. Like, oh, like he's not very good. And it's like, well, not all five starters along the offensive line are going to be great players, you guys. Like that's just not how it works unless you're the Saints or like teams like that who have, you know, spent decades you know revamping their offensive line so this is the first year of the offensive line i think they will be better than they were last year hard not to be but you know the reality is is that it's not going to be an elite unit from day one which i think not everybody's kind of expecting that but i've seen some people say like oh it's gonna be a top 10 unit it's gonna be a top eight unit it's like i i don't think so like we need to pump the brakes a little bit here um Don Telesco kind of talked about it. it's going to be, you know, a, a couple year process of revamping this unit to the point where they think it, it needs to be. And I'm very excited about Rashawn Slater. I think he's going to be a very, very good player in this league. Um, but it stands to reason that like he could struggle a little, a little bit as a rookie. Like we need to be okay with this offensive line, not being the best offensive line in the league right away. Like it, it's going to take a little bit for them to gel. It's going to take a little bit for, the offensive coaching staff to figure out what works for them. You know, Matt Filer said they've got a lot of run packages of kind of every scheme, gap, power, zone, outside zone, inside zone. Everybody's got to try and figure out what works and what doesn't. And they've only been practicing in pads for like two weeks. So like, 
let's pump the brakes a little bit in terms of worrying about the offensive line, worrying about the secondary. You know, there's a lot of moving parts that has to, that still have to come together and should throughout the season. I would say, you know, yeah, pump the brakes and, and just chill out with the offensive line. I know it was kind of hard to watch. And I know I did say that the offensive line gave up like 10 sacks potentially as a whole, which is obviously not good. Although most of that did come against like the second and third team units. Like Chris Rump feeding up Harper isn't like, it's not going to, it's not big on my radar or anything. And the guys that did really well were the guys that have been there before that we kind of expect to be good. Belaga looked pretty good. He pancaked Bosa on one play. Lindsley looked really good in the time that he was in. Filer looked really good. Abuji not as established as like a long-term starter. Uh, he struggled and Rashawn Slater had some struggles too. So, but th- I think those guys will eventually come along at least Slater and listen, three out of five ain't bad. I don't remember the last time the Chargers had three solid <laughs> players out yeah. of five and I expect it to be better than that, but at least three out of five is pretty solid to me. And, you know, again, the defense is they're throwing so much at them. It's very hard. Like they almost block everything perfectly on outside zone. Everybody gets their blocks. No problem. But the linebackers are just fast and they move. And you have Derwin James running guys down. It's just very yeah. hard to run on this team. And 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 pass protect, too. There's just so much they, that they do. I saw Drew Tranquil on a blitz this scrimmage. You know, there's just so much that they're going to throw at them. So, you know, come, I mean, Washington football team, yeah, that'll be tough. But come like the Dallas Cowboys game, I think, in a few games moving forward, they'll be able to kind of find their rhythm. Yeah, so I think the thing is, it's just about having, you know, one guy out of five. Like, if that, you know, if Ode Bushi is that guy that's struggling, I'm not too concerned um, at this point for the entirety of the offensive line. Um, you know, the, the problem was, wasn't necessarily having, you know, Forrest Lamp last year. It was having Forrest Lamp, you know, in between Sam Tevy and Dan Feeney, right? <laughs> and then, you know, that's really where the chaos begins. You know, if you have him in between Corey Lindsley um, and, and Rashawn Slater, like, yeah, I mean, I don't think that's great, but that works better, right, uh, relatively speaking, on the offensive line. And, you know, I don't think they mean for him to be a long-term starter anyway. Like, they gave him a one-year, practically speaking, right. minimum deal. Um, and they're just like, all right, well, we'll see what works. Um you know, you can make the argument maybe they should have drafted one higher uh, in terms of uh, in terms of a guard. Maybe that can compete this year because uh, I, I don't think you know Hymas is really going to compete for either spot on in on the inside this year. But um, yeah. I'm not too concerned with Abuji considering the guys that he's really uh, on the line with. Um, and like Steven said, my expectation was never that this was going to be a top ten offensive line. Uh, I think if it's at least top 20 to 25, like that is such a drastic night in improvement, right? Like if you're at 21 instead of 32, like that may still seem like shit, um, but it is still a huge improvement um, from where they were last year in terms of being the worst, right? And then that also goes back to the Herbert regression thing where if you're just getting less pressures, uh, and not more, you know, that helps in terms of the whole, you know, EPA per play debate. Yeah, absolutely. And like in terms of expectations for the offensive line, I, I think if they're hovering right around 20, you know, and, and kind of like the pass block win rate, run black win rate, like that's great. Mm-hmm. And then next year, you'll get a year two leap from Slater. And hopefully you'll be able to find a, a long term guy at right guard and right tackle, kind of depending on how things go. But, you know, and, and, you know, what happens with Filer and Brennan Hymas who are kind of tackle guard hybrids, but, 
you know, that's another reason why I think kind of next year is the big push year because next year, if there's, you know, an interior offensive lineman that's worthy of, you know, throwing the bag at them, like say Brandon Scherf actually becomes available, then you go, you can go and do that. Um, you know, so we'll have to kind of see. Um, I do want to shift towards the skill players because, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Jason Moore previously. Um, he made some good plays on Sunday at the scrimmage. He was working with the first team offense yesterday uh, because Josh Palmer was uh, out with personal reasons. So he is back. Um, also, Corey Lindsley is back at practice. If you haven't heard, uh, Kenneth Murray is not. So that's something to monitor as well. Brandon Faison is still gone as well. So um, just a uh, quick nugget there. But uh, Jason Moore's making some plays. He's taking advantage of his opportunities, it seems like. Um, and you know, it makes the battle for wide receiver five, six, a little more interesting, you know, if he is able to kind of go out there and really be kind of the guy, uh, in the preseason games, which kind of depends on, on who plays and stuff like that. Um, but it's important to talk about that. Jason Moore is making plays. He's coming together, um, seemingly earning the trust of all the quarterbacks. They all kind of have a good relationship with him. Uh, so Tyler, what do you see from, uh, kind of the back end of the receivers from the scrimmage, including Jason Moore. I mean, first of all, I got to start. I know I don't I don't want to take anything from, from Moore, but I do have to start with Austin Prohl, who had like five catches, would have had six. What, what am I supposed to say? Like the guy keeps getting targets. The guy keeps catching everything. Um, but Moore is an interesting one. And I kind of wish that he were an option on punt return or special teams or something. Because I think he's a better receiver than Brock. He's just a more dynamic receiver than Pearl. Pearl is a solid, you know, slot, you know, short yard gain, bubble screen, you know, whatever you want him to do, sort of thing. Just kind of near the line of scrimmage guy. But more as an actual, no offense to Pearl, wide receiver looking kind of yeah. guy. I don't remember who did who did I say that was a less useful Jason Moore? I felt really bad about that now because now Moore is uh, actually killing it. Scott. Sorry, Scott. Um, <laughs> Moore, Moore is apparently six three two fifteen and. Yeah. You know, if not for Pearl hogging so much highlights, because, not highlights, but attention because he's been on special teams, I think Moore has actually been one of the other better receivers at camp, and he is absolutely deserving of that spot. And I don't know what happened with Mike Williams today. Does anybody know? No. Um, oh, my Badgley speaking to the media right now. That's hilarious. Just like um, Badgley in front of the media? What a horrendous yeah. thing. Oh, my poor guy. Prayers for that guy. <laughs> Um, uh, but I haven't seen any updates on Mike Williams. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, this coaching staff has been very cautious with players. So I'm yeah. hopeful that that is the case. I mean, I feel like if he were a little more seriously injured, we would have seen like, Oh, he's talking to trainers like, Oh, he left practice. Yeah. So he right. still stayed at practice today. He just wasn't participating. So okay. I'm hoping that's just kind of like a vet day off kind of thing. Sure. I, the other thing about figuring out this, we can talk about the depth chart at some point too. They're definitely keeping four tight ends. Like after that scrimmage, I am very positive to keep to keeping four tight ends. So, you know, unfortunately, there is no extra like wide receiver seven spot for more or something like that. Yeah. So it's going to be a heck of a battle. I don't know. We'll see come preseason because they are both like I would say almost equally, mm -hmm. if not, you know, very slightly close to each other in terms of targets. And it's, it's going to be a battle in terms of, you know, Ed, do you want the better receiver or do you want the guy who can do a little bit more overall? I don't know. It's going to be a really close one. I, I think it's interesting, and I think they're still playing around with things and experimenting, right? Because Guyton was out last week, and Prohl was sort of the first man up uh, in that regard. And now you had uh, Palmer 
uh, out, right? So then more is the next mana step up. So I think they're just kind of also experimenting along with this competition, just seeing kind of what works, what doesn't. Um, as far as who has a leg up, I don't really know. I, I would say that it's Prol, but more can kind of make some of those plays. Um, but more will be buried on the depth chart as the wide receiver six. So you may want to go with the guy that does have that special teams upside, uh, like Austin Prohl, uh, I think in a lot of ways that provides you a little bit more value. Um, but yeah, as far as the battle, I think it's still very much in the early stages. Uh, and it could probably be any one of the three of Prohl, more maybe KJ Hill, if he, you know, still uh, starts to get a little bit more. Uh, in terms of reps, but um, yeah, the one takeaway just from all of this, I think, is firmly that Joe Reed seems to be on the outside looking in, um, and that's kind of yeah. disappointing considering he was uh, one of the first picks of day three. I will yeah. say he was kind of a little bit more involved in the scrimmage. I didn't record any of the second or third team mm-hmm. units, but he Joe Reed was actually more involved in the scrimmage than I would have guessed. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I just don't know how Reed makes the roster at this point because. No. I mean, Moore is rotating in with the first-team offense. You know, K.J. Hill and Austin Pearl are, are really the two guys battling for uh, the punt returner and even kick returner spots. Um, so I, I just, you know, Joe Reed wasn't even listed on the unofficial depth chart uh, as a kick returner. Like, it, he's just not there. So um, I will say this, you know, Daniel Popper, um, he wrote about his takeaways yesterday, so I wanted to share a couple uh, from practice. Um, the first one that I want to share, he says the Chargers opened up team drills with third down seven on sevens. Uh, Justin Herbert's best throw of his series came on a deep over route to Jason Moore near the right sideline. Herbert weighted the ball beautifully, throwing over a, a leaping Alohi Gilman for a first down completion. Uh, he said Moore, meanwhile, has come on over the past week, and he even caught three passes in Sunday's scrimmage and is pushing for a 53-man roster spot. So Definitely something to keep an eye on there. He also wrote about KJ Hill catching two passes yesterday, uh, including an outstanding catch on a crosser near the right sideline on a throw from Chase Daniel. Hill is a polished route runner and has shown off impressive hands and body body control this camp. Uh, and then he says the wide receiver battle is the most heated of any position on the roster. Uh, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, Josh Palmer, KJ Hill, and Jason Moore are all making plays. And then, like we just said, he said former fifth round pick Joe Reed has dropped behind those four. So um, those are the guys that have to feel that, you know, they've got to make some tough decisions. And it, I think it's an interesting exercise in terms of roster building, because I'm pretty sure that KJ Hill and one of a KJ Hill or Pearl are going to make the roster, like I said, as a return man. But then are you looking at Jason Moore is kind of like a more physical guy or you keep Jalen Guyton as that speed guy. So it is interesting. I, I do expect Jalen Guyton to make the roster. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see if like, if they do choose Jason Moore over one of those other guys, I mean, it's cause they, you know, they value his size and his route running ability as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, Jalen Guyton or Tyron Johnson's ability to, to, uh, stress the field a little bit. I'm curious how they would use Tyron. I wish I could see the scrimmage with Tyron Johnson because Jalen Guyton was involved yeah. in a lot and he was in lo- involved a lot of plays that you don't like, not the receiving end of the play, but he was involved in opening up that play as well on a lot of different things. He's very involved. I would get into it in another breakdown, but a very specific concept that they've run a bunch of times so far involves Jalen Guyton a lot. So I do think, unless they think Tyron Johnson can just replace him outright, and I, I suppose he could, I do think Guyton is pretty safe so far. Yeah, I, I think Guyton is safe. It's To me, it's just a wide receiver six battle at this point. I don't think two out of the three of those guys make it, which you know we can talk about when we get to the depth chart um, kind of stuff. 
But uh, yeah, for me at this point, it would have to be Proler, uh, Proler Hill. More, I think more is interesting, but I would go with those two guys just, or one of those two guys because of their special teams value. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, any other major takeaways from uh, practices the last couple of days in the scrimmage uh, before we dive into that uh, unofficial depth chart? Uh, this kind of ties in. I was actually surprised to see that once Murray was off the field, that Ogbong Bamiga was right in there. And I don't know. It seemed like between Kelly and Roundtree and then Ogbong Bamiga and Neiman that they had the plan of first half, you get to go. Second half, you get to go. And I don't know if that means anything, but Ogbong Bamiga got that first crack for that first half, if you will. Um, although obviously they didn't anticipate Murray would go down. But Ogbong Bamiga got that full crack in that first half. Second half, it was all Neiman. I don't know if that matters that Ogbong Bamiga was first, because technically Neiman was drafted. So in terms of priority, supposedly based on how they're doing it, he should go first. But um, yeah, he was the first one out there. And, you know, there was some struggles for sure. Like coverage is not his thing, but he's fluid. He looks good against the run. And I think there's something there. And I predicted he wouldn't make the roster, but we'll see. They seem to really like him. And then with Mark Webb going down, DeLuca was out there a lot. He is just now safety four. And he got a lot of action. He almost picked off Easton Stick. I mean, who didn't at the scrimmage, apparently? But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a shot for him to make the roster, too. Some, if you just – some guys are hurt and these guys step up, boom, you make the roster. So I went from no undrafted free agents making the roster to we'll see, depending on injuries. Yeah, uh, I think that's a pretty succinct takeaway. Uh, you know, just when it comes to all these guys going down and – and health, that's just going to change the roster more than anything, right? With Ryan Smith's injury and um, you know, obviously Kenneth Murray will make the roster. But if Kenneth Murray uh, is a more long-term injury, I guess we'll see kind of what that ends up being because um, he didn't practice today. But uh, that, that'll be interesting to see in terms of how many linebackers they may want to keep. Yeah, I think linebacker five is definitely the spot that I'm kind of flip-flopping the most frequently on. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like the first week was like, oh, Cole Christiansen's in with the second team. He's calling plays. He's working with the first team special teams unit. Mm-hmm. And then this week, you know, Ogbong Wamiga is the one to step in for Murray instead of just pivoting right to Tranquil and White, which I thought was super interesting, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, all right, let's dive into this Chargers unofficial depth chart. I know there was a little bit of confusion from um, – in, in terms of like how the chargers were setting it up and let me make sure I get this. Okay. That's sorry about that. <laughs> that's like that cool funhouse mirror. How do I get it? Uh, I want this. I, I don't want this one. I want the, just go back to what it was. It looked fine. Okay. How do I get, oh, whatever. This is live TV at its finest. Uh, I just want to say that in general, I'll just talk while you're doing that. I, I don't really care for this depth chart, and I think it's wrong. I think this unofficial depth chart is unofficial <laughs> for a reason. All right. Well, let me try and – I don't know why it's letting me not letting me share the Chargers screen. Maybe you have to do a separate window, I guess. Let's try that now. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I should have figured this out beforehand. It's all good. If anybody wants to guess how they use Jalen Guyton, um, a particular play, throw it in the comments. It was definitely <laughs> done at training camp, and it was definitely done a couple of times in the scrimmage. There we there go. go. Okay. That looks good. All right. So 
Um, first things first, I know there was a little bit of confusion in terms of like how the, the one that was tweeted um, was kind of formatted. So the one on the Chargers website is, is this one that I'm sharing. It's a little more clear. Um, you see Keenan Allen, first team receiver, Jalen Guy in second, KJ Hill third, and then fourth team, Joshua Palmer, Austin Prohl, John Hurst, uh, which is kind of what, you know, we were all saying on Twitter. It's like, it just seems like they were kind of choosing veterans over young guys at almost every chance that they could get. So like Josh Palmer as a fourth team receiver, uh, that is absolutely false. That's not, <laughs> that has not been what the reps have shown us. Um, but guys, anything else stand out to you here in terms of, you know, we'll get to the defense first, but in terms of uh, offense, what do you guys see that stands out to you here? Well, if you count uh, neighbors as a tight end, which obviously they don't, but I was, he lined up at, at slot receiver a couple of times in the scrimmage. So it's amazing that five tight ends could make this roster and they all were involved on first team, which is crazy to me. Trey McKitty was involved. Anderson's involved. Arms involved. Cook's obviously involved and neighbors was involved. It's crazy that they're going to have five tight ends legitimately will all mix in and be active on game day and mix in yeah i mean i didn't have too many takeaways um a lot of this is just the chalk that we would have predicted right like if you look at uh, running backs somewhere here right it's just eckler then jackson then kelly then roundtree then um bradwell right so that's really just kind of what it is um, and it's what it is heading into camp, right? I don't think any of us really believe Josh Palmer is like the wide receiver seven um, <laughs> in terms of like yeah. how, how it fills out. Um, he will eventually be at least wide receiver four or five, I think. But, you know, this is just kind of how it works. The, you know, vets are placed over the rookies um, in terms of, you know, kind of the precedent there. And, you know, I just think it's kind of before the competition start. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go as far as Tyler and say, like, this is just a bunch of, you know, bull crap. Like, I do think they are giving you. <laughs> I'm the heel what it, cool. Right. <laughs> I think they are giving you what it was heading into training camp, uh, what it will be three weeks from now. Um, I think at least, you know, 15 or 20 percent of it probably will be different. Yeah, I, I think there are certainly some things that you take as stock and there are other things that you don't like you know this this tab of receivers you know first of all i wish that they would include a separate tab here for like three receivers and then three corners because that's that's like the most commonly used personnel packages right there is the three Mm. receiver set on offense and then three defensive backs on the secondary so i wish that they had had that in there um as opposed to like putting you know asante semi jr as Chris Harris, kiss Chris Harris's backup, and you know putting Jalen Guyton as a backup. Like I just wish that they would have that in there, so you could see like who's the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that kind of stands out to me, I guess, um, you know, in, in terms of the offensive depth chart, you know, is the kind of the offensive line that backup unit. Yeah. Um, you know, Ryan Hunter kind of being there still is, it is what it is. Like we've seen Brandon Hymas kind of work it in there more often and then uh nate gilliam really has only been working as that third team center or mm-hmm. second team center when Lindsay has been out so he was initially drafted as a or not drafted brought on as an undrafted free agent as a guard but it seems like they've kind of transitioned him to uh center a little bit and then um kyle spaulding is the one from san diego state he's kind of flipping back and forth between left guard and right tackle it seems like um with that 13 unit so just kind of uh wanted to point those two out there i don't understand why Hymas is listed at a right guard when he's been playing left guard i know um, <laughs> st louis with the right guard when he's being left guard so 
again, I hate this list. Uh, <laughs> but but Hymas is second team for sure. I wasn't sure if they, at the beginning of the week if that was just like, okay, they're trying him out. But scrimmage time, he was second team easily yeah. with Tyree St. Louis. So he is he's the backup left guard. Right. Yeah, and I fully expect him to make the roster. I know some people after the first week were like, oh, like what's up with Hymas? And it's like, he's going to make the roster. Like they drafted him uh this year like they're not going to cut the that kind of offensive lineman Mm -hmm. and if you look at like this whole third unit it's all undrafted free agents and then hymas which is is kind of annoying but hymas is going to make the roster (laughs) yes he is it's like a scott questenberry situation go have him around see if he starts yeah all right let's jump to the defensive side of the ball um i i think the biggest standout for me in terms of looking at the depth chart is I really like how they put Drew Tranquil and Kaiser White as co-starters as opposed to making one of them mm-hmm. the backups. I think that really speaks volumes to how they view both of those players. And Ronaldo Hill yesterday, I loved how he talked about Kaiser White. Um, you know, he apparently they call Kaiser White the bully because he's able to kind of really be a bully in the box and bully people on reps. Mm-hmm. Um, has a great competitive attitude in competition uh, that in the competitions that happen on a daily basis. So. Uh, more glowing reviews for Kaiser Wright, and I love that they put him and, and Tranquil as co-starters as opposed to listing one of them as a backup. This linebacker group is athletic, man. Murray, like of your starters, Kaiser White's like your least athletic guy. And then behind <laughs> him, you have Nick Neiman, who would kill the athletic testing. Then Eamon Ogbon yeah. is explosive as hell. It's a really, really fast, explosive group, and they've come along really, really well so far. But it is cool yeah. to see Tranquil and White split like that. And when Ogbon Bamiga came in, like it was, they kind of just threw him in there, but then they pulled him, and it was a lot of tranquil and white kind of the rest of the way for that first group. So I wouldn't say like he's Akbang maybe because like cemented in there, like over white or tranquil or anything. It just seems like they just tried it out, and then but then they wanted more of that tranquil white situation. I think it'll be interesting to see in the preseason game, you know, who who kind of plays uh, more, right? Like Tyler mentioned that they kind of split, you know, Neiman and Akbang Miga once, you know, Kenneth Murray went down. Um, so that'll be a thing to watch in terms of like how many quarters does each play? How many reps do they have? Um, I feel bad for poor Damon Lloyd because I don't think that we've ever talked about him. Uh, <laughs> and that speaks to his chances of making the roster. Um, but yeah, so I, I just think it'll be interesting to see uh, how much each one of them plays in that first preseason game. And also, of course, what they do with their actual reps. Yeah, I... Damon Lloyd's that linebacker who was in that spring league, right? I think so. I like, I don't even think we've like heard anything about him or like Willie Yarberry. Like I, I just like, mm-hmm. I wish I knew more about you guys, but I don't. <laughs> um, but the other thing too, in, in terms of like co-starters, like Emma K. Egbele and Chris Rumpfine right there mm. as like co-backups mm-hmm. is really interesting. Um, I think Kyler Fackrell is really going to be like a borderline starter in terms of snaps. So really, like, we haven't seen Fackrell work with the second team defense all that much. It's been Egbele and Rumpf as opposed to, you know, them being, like, just Uchenna and Wosu's backup. So mm-hmm. um, that's obviously something that's got to sort out. Um, we we kind of talked about Egbele the other day. Um, Chris Rumpf did have the three sacks in the scrimmage. Um, but like Tyler said, two of them uh, were against uh, Darius Harper, which – I think Harbert's an intriguing practice squad kind of guy, but you know, good for Rumford doing his best and uh, taking care of business, but don't really know how, how notable that is. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm curious how it'll play out in the regular season or even the preseason, 
Joey Bosa wasn't on the field a whole lot. There's no way in hell that's not, you know, that that stays true come week one. But it was a lot of factoral and, and mostly during the scrimmage. So I don't know how much, like, I was just kind of always thought that, you know, uh, factoral and most kind of rotate. But, you know, it seems like to keep him fresh, they're just doing a solid, almost even rotation. And Bosa actually, I think he's played less in the scrimmage than the other two guys. Again, I, that's obviously not going to stay that way. But they do have a plan to keep this guy healthy for sure. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the defensive line, um, what did you see from Fahoko and Brown? Because I know that those two have kind of been going back mm-hmm. and forth. Um, and it's been a really good battle to to watch and to listen to what's been going on. Yeah. Um, I know Fahoko had a couple plays. Um, I think he had like a sack or something like that. I know Brown had like a batted pass. So uh, mm-hmm. what did you see on Sunday from those two? Yeah, I didn't record any of the second or third team units. So I don't. I can't go back and watch these guys. For Hoko, I didn't hear his name brought up all that much. Although he's more involved in that kind of run stuffing, two gapper kind of two, you know, take on two to, uh, offensive players kind of guy. So I didn't really get to see him do a whole lot. Broughton didn't come up a couple of times. Had that pass batted. I believe he had a really good pressure somewhere in there too. Possibly a sack. I think. I think Dan Wolkenstein posted a sack or a, a would be sack. Um, so this defensive line is is really heating up. And again, another reason I don't want to keep Easton Stick like everyone on this defensive line, some of the linebackers, some of the defensive backs, they're just somewhere more valuable and so much yeah. more impactful that I'd rather keep, I'd rather keep Cortez Brown than Easton stick because he's just another rotating guy, another weapon you can use. Um, so I, I didn't, I can't take a whole lot away from what I saw because I just didn't pay as much attention and it was hard to just think of everybody in my head all at once. Um, but no, they've both been making plays in camp and it's a really good rotation behind the starters for sure. Um, I'm impressed with the starting group of Justin Jones and Jerry Tillery, uh, but we'll see how it goes moving forward. I don't know who they're going to keep. Like, I don't think yeah. anybody gained any ground. I don't think Broughton or Fahoko like gained ground on the other. I think it's pretty much as is, and I, I still think they're keeping Fahoko. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll either you know keep both of them, keep one of them, and stash the other on the practice squad. I suppose that's a possibility um, too, just in terms of depth and, and addressing that. But It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because I think you have Justin Jones, Jerry Tillery, and Linval Joseph very clearly as the starters. Does, you know, Christian Covington kind of being more of that, like, kind of big, massive, you know, uh, not that he's a stopgap per se, but being in that middle of the tackle, does that make you maybe lean uh, towards a Broughton instead of a Fahoko just in terms of versatility? Uh, perhaps yeah. it does. I don't know. Um, that's kind of where I would lean, but yeah, I, I don't feel strongly about either guy at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just for uh, really quickly, Gilbert Manzano just tweeted about uh, Michael Badgley being booed at SoFi Stadium, and Badgley said, quote, they have expectations just like I do. You don't like hearing it, but it's a part of the game, end quote. So that's a very good answer. Yeah, that's a very good answer. Um, and I like that Michael Badgley is pro-booing himself. Um, that shows that shows character development. That shows skill. Uh, and Michael Badgley, you are a resident Philadelphian. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, all right, well let's talk about this secondary depth chart because it it is getting a little bit more interesting because you know Brandon Faison has been gone. Ryan Smith has barely played. I think he practiced like the first two days and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ryan Smith has a core injury. Uh, according to Daniel Popper and face on is still dealing with a family issue. Hope everything is okay. Um, but Ronaldo Hills yesterday said that they went back and watched the film and they said that Tavon Campbell or Tavon Campbell, I can't remember which is the correct way to say that 
Um, either way, Mr. Campbell is apparently popping in practice, has made some good plays, and you know is really taking advantage of his reps, right? Because Faison and Smith theoretically would be getting more reps than him if they were both on the field. So um, that's another guy similar to Jason Moore who is kind of taking advantage of his opportunities and potentially, you know, working his way, you know, into maybe even like the second unit. Again, if you have the slot cornerback listed, I think he would be kind of a backup there as opposed to being behind uh, Brandon face on here. A little surprised by, in a good way, by how much they're playing him on the outside during the scrimmage and practices now, but Hey, I'm all for it. The guy can play both. And that's wonderful. You know, yeah. Chris Harris jr. Is your technically your starting outside corner right now, but he goes inside. Santos Hamill Jr. inside outside. You know, to so have a guy like Campbell that can do that, great. And I believe I had him making the roster most recently. Yeah. Uh, but to see him even take you know, further steps and kind of establish himself a little bit more, hey, that's great. And he's a guy that picked sixth Joe Flacco, I believe, which yeah. uh, that's nothing to write home about a ton. But hey, got some experience. You have some instincts. You put something on film for these coaches. So I do think he'll make the roster. And, you know, as far as Ryan Smith goes, I believe he had a pretty decent start to training camp. Like, I think he made some plays. But I, I don't know what to expect from a core muscle injury. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. But for right now, like there are so many other guys you can find to contribute on special teams, I think. And it's not like Ryan Smith was like an amazing contributor for the Buccaneers. He had like seven tackles. And again, there's more to it than that. But yeah. it's not, it's like a, he's not like a shoe in. You know, if they signed Cordero Patterson, for example, and he were kind of hurt, he would still make the roster. Whereas Ryan Smith has just that role and not really offering a ton of corner more than like Campbell or even face on like, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about him making the roster, but he did get signed. So that does hint that, you know, he has a better shot than most, but I mean, if he can't stay healthy and if he's not out there by preseason week two, then, you know, move on, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting with Ryan Smith. Um, I'm curious just how specific do they see his special teams role? Is it something to the point where you don't know if anyone else can fill in uh, in terms of, you know, his special teams ace role at the end of the Buccaneers or like the Buccaneers, can you kind of replace him and, and figure out ways around it? Right. So I think that'll be important in determining whether he makes the roster or not, um, you know, and hopefully he does start practicing soon. So we can actually see something on tape instead of just going, well, you know, he was injured for two weeks and we cut him, right? So I, I actually do want to see something from him before right. we kind of make that decision for sure. Um, I got a little uh, OCD about this chart when I first saw it because it's like, well, Brandon Faison kind of is the CB2 and Michael Davis is the CB1. But like in reality, you know, it kind of doesn't matter as much, right? With how much these guys yeah. are going to move around and Chris Harris is going to play some safety, um, Sante Samuel Jr. will move around and maybe take Faison's role at some point. Um, but yeah, I think unlike the traditional Bradley defense that we had, like just how much these guys move around and, and how much each of them will play uh, and be an important factor, it kind of makes it feel less important, like where they are in the depth chart and just, right. you know, will they be available? Because I think you are really looking at the six corners that'll be there um you know i there have been kind of some moments from dante vaughn uh i think come on hall had a had a small moment maybe at training camp uh but other than that it's you know kj sales and, and john brandon uh, i don't think either of those guys are are really gonna crack it um shout out to jaleel uh and his agent really getting kj in there um <laughs> but, uh as his cousin for those that don't know 
But uh, I do think it's interesting just how these guys are placed. But like like Tyler said, I think this is one of those moments on the depth chart where it doesn't really matter. And we'll kind of see how they actually all play on the field together because it is something that's so radically different than kind of the next man up cornerback mentality of, say, Gus Bradley. Yeah. Um, as it pertains to KJ sales, like I had like four or five South Florida people be like, man, you guys got to steal. Like I was like, did this guy really do that much in South Florida? I literally had never heard of him until they signed him. So, um, maybe I'll have to look into that. But I, I also did notice, you know, I was going through all the pictures that the charters put up online after the scrimmage and sales actually came out of the tunnel with the other return men as opposed hmm. to coming with the other secondary members. So um, maybe there's something there in terms of, you know, returnability. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I, I guess my question is that, you know, with Ryan Smith, if if they cut Ryan Smith, which defensive back makes the roster then? Because, you know, Ben DeLucas had some good moments, apparently in absence of Mark Webb. Dante Vaughn's kind of rotating a little bit. Um, John Brandon has had some pass breakups. Uh, Keeman Hall has had some pass breakups. So it seems like all those kind of guys are right on like even footing. Um, so I don't know if either of you guys have kind of a, a way you'd be leaning there, but um, it's just gonna be interesting to see like if Ryan Smith doesn't stay healthy and they cut him, which defensive back do they pick instead of him? Alex, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I can go first to me at this point. I really don't have a preference. Um, I'll have to see if they play in the preseason, honestly, between, you know, uh, Ben DeLuca, uh, Vaughn, Sales, Hall, Brannon, all those guys. Um, you know, you could even make the argument and say, what if we keep four cornerbacks uh, or sorry, five cornerbacks instead and maybe add another linebacker, add another pass rusher, right? I don't know if it's as simple as we just take out Ryan Smith and we're instantly adding another defensive back because you may be able to get another guy maybe in the linebacker mm-hmm. group or somebody else who can contribute on special teams. Um, but for now at the moment, uh, it's a little too buried down the depth chart for me to care. And I also haven't seen any of these guys play actually, yeah. at training <laughs> camp. Um, you know, being on the other side of the country. So I know, I know Tyler's about to go in a whole Ben DeLuca propaganda tirade right now. Um, oh. but yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you take all the logical, boring approach and make sense. <laughs> I'm going to add a fifth safety for no reason. Uh, I'm going to add Ben DeLuca. Okay. I, listen, I kind of was pushing for him. I'd like to be right. I don't think I will be right about Ben DeLuca. But, like, he has been – he is backup safety number three. And backup safety number three has been playing quite a bit lately, uh, yeah. especially with Mark Webb out. And who knows how long Mark Webb's going to be out for. You know, if Ben DeLuca crushes it in preseason as that backup set of safeties – with the backup set of safeties, you know, he has a shot. But – All right, fine. Yes, I think Alex is right. And I do think that if they keep five corners, uh, they'll keep four safeties. If they cut Ryan Smith, I do think that gives them an opportunity to keep someone like a Cortez Broughton or, hey, another Jason Moore or something like that. Or, you know, if they have to, I kind of think they should potentially keep both the backup tackles, both Pipkins and Norton. So if you have to pick between one of the two and it's either Ryan Smith or Storm Norton, an injured Ryan Smith or Storm Norton, I'm keeping Storm Norton. So... Um, yeah, I think Alex is right, but I would like to see DeLuca stick on the roster. And I think he has a chance to. Yeah, I, I guess my thinking is that we've kind of just like assumed that they're going to keep 10 defensive backs like from the start. And maybe mm-hmm. that they would kind of prefer to 
hold that. That's another thing that's going to be interesting. Apparently, Vic Vangio has always kept like 11 defensive backs since he's oh, been wow. uh, with the Bears and with the Broncos. So I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, I'd be pretty surprised if they kept 11 defensive backs. Um, but that's that's just something that I think is interesting because I'm, I'm a football nerd and I think you know disciple versus teacher and their tendencies is, is is an interesting conversation. I will say that the only time I saw Sales was he was pumping up the crowd before the practice of the scrimmage, <laughs> and then I saw him draw a draw a pass interference play. So yeah, yeah, I, not I, one, but yeah that was interference. Yeah. All right. Any uh, anything that you guys want to talk about on the special teams depth chart? Nope. Throw it away. Lockland Edwards had a shit punt, and that's all I can say. Ty Long sticking <laughs> around. Yeah. Alex, anything? Uh-uh. Uh, Alex, you're on mute, I think. I'm cute. Great. Um, I've seen a <laughs> lot of people go at Ty Long on Twitter and be like, you know, oh, he was a bad punter last year, but he was actually, like, I don't know, top 10 in air yards, and also uh, he had Joshua Kelly blocking for him. Um, so like, you know, I think we got to take it a little bit easier on Ty Long. I think he is the starting punter, uh, and deserves to be, um, you know, we'll see what Lachlan Edwards can do, but for now, I really don't see any reason to, uh, not have Ty Long as the punter. Uh, I was happy to see Nasir Adderley as the kick returner. I think that kind of is the right yeah. decision given mm-hmm. how he ended the season. Um, you know, and it wasn't a, a particularly small sample size either. He did it over like a five, six games, right? So there, there was something to that um, with Nasir Adderley as the kick returner. So I'm curious to see what that brings. Of course, I think KJ Hill and Austin Prohl could also do that role fine. Um, but yeah, like the kicker thing to me really doesn't make any difference at this point because I, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's just their way of saying Badgley was the starting kicker coming into camp uh, based off of him being the starting kicker last year. Vizcaino and Kassman, you know, of course, will compete behind him. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting that they pretty much left Badgley off of kickoff duty entirely, despite the fact that Swinton obviously saying, you know, hey, that's very important uh, for us. So, you know, him not being there uh, at all, even as like the fourth guy or something like that, that's that's certainly something to think about in terms of what his actual chances to make the roster are, um, which I'm pretty sure we're all down on after today. But to me, more so than the missed kicks, more so than all that. It's just, I do really think that they want a guy who can also kick off as well. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like Badgley's capable of that based on uh, what people saw at the scrimmage and really what we've been seeing the last three years, um, unfortunately. So those are really my only takeaways. Kicker competition, wide open in the air. Uh, I don't make anything really of their depth chart from that standpoint, but it was nice to see Nasir Adderley in there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to see what Adderley does, you know, full-time as a kickoff returner. Um, you know, he only had, I think, like 13 attempts, and, you know, he returned 11 of them, which was kind of an un- unreal kind of success rate, if you want to call it that. Um, but I'm excited to see what he does as a return man because he really only had, like, five or six games at the end of the season. Um, as for Badgley, like, Brandon Staley kind of said after the scrimmage, like, oh, we let Badgley go first because – you know, he's been, you know, he's the most experienced kicker. Like he's been with the team. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, you know, another way of saying like, until we know otherwise, like Badgley is our kicker. Um, you know, we all are kind of assuming it's not based off of what we're hearing, but you know, the other guys have to go out and do it. Like they have to go out and take it from him. They're not just going to hand this guy now uh, the kicking job. So yeah, not a whole lot to take away from uh, the special teams depth chart. 
It's Vizcano for the whole rest of the way. I'm pretty sure at this point he's he's got it. All right. Also, I think I'm pretty sure it's Vizcano. Uh, and people keep correcting you on that. So I don't know if that's actually Matt the Matt Smith said Vizcano. During the play-by-play, uh, they were Vizcano? saying Vizcano. Okay. So I was like, well, oh, I guess it's Vizcano. Maybe everybody else is wrong. So, uh, yeah, I'll correct the way that I say it. Uh, and I'll start saying this, uh, this, this Kano from now on. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, when I first saw that, I, uh, my, my Spanish brain just went right to this <laughs> yeah. because that's how you would say it in Spanish. Um, but anyways, so that's just my brain. Um, all right, let's uh, quickly talk about the Chargers Rams uh, preseason game. Obviously, none of us really know who's going to play and how much they're going to play. Um, Brandon Staley obviously is not going to tell us all that, except for like he's not playing and he is playing. Um, but he kind of alluded to it and said, basically, if they still feel like they need to evaluate the player, that they're going to play. So someone like Josh Palmer, Asante Samuel Jr., all these young guys, like they will be playing, which is exciting. Um, I think Justin Herbert maybe sees like a drive or two. Um, but I'm not expecting like Brian Blaga, Linval Joseph, Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen. Like, I don't think any of like the older veterans are going to play. Um, but it is going to be exciting to see. Like, I think, you know, the Rams have basically said like no starters are playing. Um, so that's kind of why I, I feel like getting Justin Herbert in there and having like a drive or two against backups, like it'll be good. <laughs> like, get him some rhythm, like, get him some confidence and, and really kind of just have seamless drive or two and then you know hand it off to chase daniel after that i am looking forward to what everyone else is looking forward to and that is the running back four battle that's going on right now it's a fierce competition i just got to see these guys with the pads on actually yeah. try like running people over because you know if you just count the numbers from the scrimmage or from practice they get like three yards and that's it but there's something to you know momentum breaking and drive and breaking the tackle and all that yeah. you just don't get in those scenarios so now can larry roundtree that's because that's one of his best attributes and i almost the same for joshua kelly can they get those extra yards and I, that's what i'm most amazingly that's what i'm most looking forward to because roundtree needs to gain some ground man because he might be rb5 behind bradwell who again was the punchline of hard knocks last season and he's behind that guy right now so i'd love to see him get some momentum and show why he was picked by the chargers yeah um yeah i mean despite me wanting to say i was right i really do want to see more development from roundtree um yeah. you know I'm, I'm close to declaring myself right but i actually do want to see if he has something because they do have a free agent situation with justin jackson next year and uh, do have to figure out some of those problems so uh, i am curious about the rb4 battle for me it's it's less about position battles and more just about like what percentage kind of the plays are Arjun mentioned this in his analytics video but really like how much are they running base how much are they running nickel and dime uh you know uh Tyler can speak to this from from some of the scrimmage but I haven't been able to see any of the scrimmages or training camp or practice in any of that so uh, I'm really curious to see just what the ratio is uh in terms of all the kind of uh, particularly defensive sets that they're going to be running they ran a ton of four DBs. Like they were pretty much, you know, three, four, four the whole rest of the way uh, during the scrimmage. I don't know if that's because of any injuries or whatever, but it was pretty much three, four, four the whole way. Hmm. Yeah. And that, that could just be them trying to, you know, get comfortable in the, in the base packages. I, I, yeah. Brandon Staley with the Rams last year was in there. They were in their base package, like 15% of the time last year. And that's kind of been where the NFL as a whole is trending, right? Because you have, 
so many teams are in 11 personnel with three receivers on the field, like at all times. So that's, that's definitely something to keep an eye on, but um, I'm, I'm just excited to see them like play full contact football, like be able to take players to the ground. I think, you know, this is a big game and obviously the whole preseason is big for everybody. Right. But specifically for like running backs and linebackers, I think this is where we'll see the separation. This is where we'll see, Nick Neiman versus Cole Christiansen or Nick Neiman versus Eamon Ogbong-Lamiga, Larry Roundtree versus Bat Bradwell versus Kelly. This is where we'll see like some real clarity for the first time. Cause I feel like in terms of receivers and corners, like we're able to get like a broader grasp of their skill sets through seven on seven through team drills, like who's getting targets, who's getting all this stuff. But in terms of like linebackers and running backs, like this is where we'll see um, some real separation from those groups. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. So, I'm so bumming about Neiman right now. Like, I really want to see this guy do well. I think, I think when the game's on the line, he'll do pretty well. So I'm really looking forward to him. Although it was very interesting the way they rotated them. It was Christiansen and then one of the two other guys. Christiansen was just kind of the other backup linebacker, and they're rotating Ogbon, Bamiga, and Neiman uh, next to him. So I don't know. I want. I want. I can't wait to just have. Look, my seats are great, but I have to sit there and I'm recording the thing and they're a billion yards away. And now we finally, even though we don't get all 22, we do get the preseason game recap. And finally, we can yeah. rewatch some plays and have some clarity on what happened. Yeah, and you don't have to film this game. So you can be you can be all in, take the binoculars, <laughs> you have a good time, not worry about having to film every single play. So um, that'll be exciting for sure. Alex is not going to be there with us after we record our recap. Uh, the moving week has officially come for Alex. So very exciting news for him. Um, Arjun is going to be joining Tyler and I for that recap, however. So, uh, really excited to get back with Arjun. Um, and Alex, man, like obviously wish you, uh, some safe travels to, uh, your new home and for the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I'll be, I'll be there. I'm, I'm not going to call myself out, uh, for that podcast yet. Cause I, I still could be on it. I'll, I'll, put, I'll call myself, you know, Belichick when, on us here. Yeah. When Belichick <laughs> does the whole questionable thing with uh, Brady, uh, I may be there, but I may not. So, um, but yeah, okay. thanks to everyone for the well wishes that I've uh, seen in the comments and everything it means a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to start down there, but, uh, yeah, no, I, Arjun can definitely take my place and probably care more about the game um if i'm unavailable so <laughs> oh man you're gonna pull mike florio and say preseason doesn't matter it no preseason does matter <laughs> but with everything else going on in my life it matters a little less than it usually right. would. so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah mike florio gets paid to do football stuff a lot more than we do so you know yeah. it's a little worse for him not to care unfortunately unfortunately yeah, we got some rough days uh, from the national media. We got Mike Florio saying preseason football doesn't matter. We got Skip Bayless talking about Mike <laughs> McCarthy's weight. Oh, uh, so rough, rough week for uh, national media. Yeah, uh, I, honestly, I dare Skip Bayless to like go on TV and just say, like, oh, I wouldn't want Andy Reid as my coach because he's fat. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the greatest <laughs> offensive coaches of all time, better than any Cowboys coach probably ever. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Skip to take that take. But uh, what an asshole. Yes. Yes. And then, like, this is football. Like, a third of the coaches are fat. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, I can say that because I am fat. So it is what it is. Um, all right, Tyler, any final thoughts before we wrap up today, man? No, nah, I was going to pull another comment from last week, but it's not worth it. Alex, uh, you know, <laughs> learn some Morse code. So if you're being held hostage in that foreign country, you can just blink a couple times and let us know. Nope. <laughs> 
There we go. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. As always, make sure and leave us some comments, like the videos, uh, leave us some ratings or reviews on your audio platforms. That's going to do it for us today. So excited that Chargers football is officially back. We can talk about actual football events happening after this weekend. So very exciting news. Hope anyone that is attending the game has a wonderful time. uh, And we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.